This is the Short-Term Parking Podcast, and I'm Jack Prebeck. I read Willie Nelson's autobiography. I should say one of Willie Nelson's autobiographies. I think he's written several at this point, which is quite a testament right there. If you've reached the point to where you have multiple autobiographies, you have, at the very least, remarkable staying power. Anyway, I read his book it's probably 25 years ago. And there was a chapter in the book that was, as I recall, mostly advice to entertainers. And one of the main points he made a lot of times was, as he called it, get out of Dodge. In other words, when you are done with the job, leave, don't hang around. And it was some of the best advice I'd ever heard because as I thought back at that time, a lot of the trouble that had uh, occurred in different bands and in different professional situations that I had found myself in, a lot of the problems occurred directly after hours. When people were hanging around, drinking more at the bar or at the after party or something along those lines, that that was uh, when people said things that they didn't really mean People reacted, overreacted to things. And so this advice of get out of Dodge hit home to me. Shortly after that, I went to a Willie Nelson show. And this was sometime in the 90s, the latter part of the 90s. So it wasn't, it wasn't in uh, the era of peak Willie hysteria. Earlier... Perhaps a decade earlier, more. Willie was really a prominent figure in our pop culture. But like I said, at the time of the show that I went to, he was still very popular, of course. Still a big deal, especially in the country music circle. The show that I went to was in one of these huge line dance bars at the time. They were a real popular item. And there's probably 1,500, 2,000 people there. And I was really interested in going because I had uh, certainly been aware of Willie and his band for a long time. I was uh, familiar with the cast of characters Paul English, Jody Payne, and that bunch, Mickey Raphael. But I wasn't a fanatic. I was interested in hearing the music and witnessing the scene, man. The show itself was pretty pedestrian. Uh, 
not going to say they were uh, mailing it in, but they all seemed a little road weary. And uh, it wasn't a high energy affair. And it wasn't a great venue for this kind of, uh, to enjoy this kind of a performance. And really, the crowd was pretty raucous. And it really kind of overwhelmed the performance of the band. So when it came time for the obligatory encore, I uh, looked at the couple of people I was with and I said, you know what, we need to get out of here before they come back on stage. And they didn't seem to mind because... I think they had gotten what they had came for. They'd seen what they wanted to see, heard what they wanted to hear. So we made our way through the throng of people to the front entrance of the club and started to negotiate our way back to the car in the parking lot. And it took a little while, and the parking lot was jam-packed. Got in the car, and... Started to maneuver our way through the maze there and get to where we could leave the parking lot and get out on the road. And there was a line forming near the uh, exit areas. And when our turn came, when we got to the front of the line, just about ready to make our move. And here comes Willie's bus barreling through the parking lot right in front of us. And so as we were leaving the parking lot, we were directly behind Willie Nelson's bus. And there was a little uh, access road that led to an on-ramp for a four-lane highway. And it was probably a couple of football fields from the uh, exit of this club parking lot to the on-ramp. And as we were following Willie's bus very slowly, because there were, you know, cars in line to get on the on-ramp at this point, they weren't stopped, but they're moving slowly, five miles an hour or so. As we were making our way there, a guy came running down the shoulder of the road towards the on-ramp and he was dressed in cut-off shorts, cowboy boots, had on a black cowboy hat and he was carrying a what looked to be like a, a cheap acoustic guitar wielding it in his right hand over his head running through the gravel shoulder in his pointy-toed cowboy boots and hollering for Willie to stop the bus. And he ran all the way down the on-ramp to the freeway there and watched the taillights of Willie's bus as they faded into the distance. And I don't know the story who the guy was, what he wanted, 
or any details, but that image is forever in my mind. And I remember thinking at the time that it must be a strange kind of pressure to have to deal with that sort of fanaticism. And it may not even be that. It may be that somehow this guy was imbalanced somehow, chemically imbalanced or mentally imbalanced. Who knows? Who knows? But it must be a lot of pressure to have to deal with that sort of attention on any kind of a regular basis. And the flip side of that coin is, of course, that anybody who has been an entertainer with any level of success, they have experienced adulation. And in live performance, it is immediate adulation, immediate feedback. And sometimes it's a great deal of it. People shouting, hollering, wanting a piece of you, so to speak. And even if it is on a smaller level, on a level like where you're playing a club or something like that, where you're not in front of thousands of people or even hundreds of people, you're still getting a great deal of this instant positive feedback. And I have no doubt that it is addictive on some level. You know how you often hear about people checking their social media hundreds of times a day just to get that little endorphin rush when somebody gives them a thumbs up or a comment. When you're performing in front of an audience and they are liking what you're doing, that endorphin rush is huge by comparison, even if it is a small audience. And perhaps that is why we can look at uh, performers such as Willie or Bob Dylan who have continued to perform live well into their golden years. Part of that has to be a driving force. The feedback from the audience, the appreciation there are other factors too you know uh, acts on a level like that are far larger than just the individual they all have a payroll and so some are faced with the idea that if they quit performing quit the road then a lot of uh, people that they are responsible for will have to find other means to make a living. Acts that are actually playing the large arena type tours, 
literally have hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people on the payroll. The other night, my son and I were up late. My wife had gone to bed already. Uh, this is the thing we started a few years back. We would uh, sometimes, after my wife went to bed, we'd stay up a little later and watch baseball. And we call it guy time. And so now that there is no baseball, we still, uh, every once in a while, we'll have a little guy time, maybe make a little later night snack and watch some TV. The other night we were watching some YouTube videos and he was playing a game on his little handheld console. And I was scrolling through the recommended YouTube videos and this one came up. And it was the Eagles on the BBC, 1973, so far before they had made the leap to being the huge spectacle of an arena act. And I started to watch it just out of curiosity based on that knowledge. I wanted to see what they were like in a live setting before they became the huge deal. And it was just the four of them. Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Randy Meisner, and Bernie Ledden. So stripped down, no gimmicks, no uh, supplemental players, no pitch correction, and really what they were was, at this point, a, uh, a club band. And I mean that by no means as a slight. They were a really good club band. They were putting forth a lot of energy and uh, a musical performance that would come across to a small to medium-sized audience in a very good way. Their harmonies were great. They started out doing a couple songs acoustic with acoustic instruments. And then they uh, switched over to more of the rock band approach. And there were some limitations. A lot of the songs they were doing were before any of their big hits, they ended the uh, set with uh, Take It Easy. And Bernie Ledden is a, is a fine guitar player, but with just the four of them trying to flesh out something like Take It Easy, when you've heard that record a hundred thousand times and you hear the glorious production on it, and uh, in this version, Bernie was trying to fill up a lot of space with just a Fender Telecaster and a deluxe reverb amp. And as a guitar player, I could tell that uh, at the end of it, he was trying to fill up a lot of space, like I say, and create some energy, and he was having a bit of a struggle. Just a bit. You know, if you were 
to walk into a club and see four guys performing, it wouldn't stand out to you at all because you would inherently know that this is a small-scale production in a small-scale room. But watching it and then juxtaposing in my mind the huge act that they become, that that sort of thing would never happen on a TV show and probably in the presentation of a live performance by the hip, modern, and responsible eagles that we know now. And at some point, my son said, uh, you know, I kind of like this music. And that took me back a little bit because really I thought instantly, oh man, I am not an Eagles fan. But I once was, thinking way, way back, back to the 70s. I had that Eagles Greatest Hits album, the one that is... uh Got the cover photo where there's a blue background and there's some kind of a talisman or dream catcher sort of a thing on there that I never figured out what it was. I don't know who's ever explained what that was to me. That record that sold, I don't know, like 30 gazillion copies. Back then, I was genuinely an Eagles fan, but it hasn't been my cup of tea for a long, long time. And maybe part of that is that I uh, intuitively like the smaller scale of the overall presentation. I think a lot of the music that has made its way to the huge spectacle arena status at its core, is not really suited for such a presentation. Country music, country rock, folk music, blues music, even rock and roll in its earlier forms, its more pure forms, does not lend itself well to the secondary amplification required to make it presentable to a huge audience of tens of thousands of people. And of course, there are workarounds on that. Most of them have to do with showbiz, the spectacle, the parts that are not music, The shuck and jive, the entertainment, the gimmick. You know, musical performance and musical creation are two separate entities. And I have a feeling that sometimes performers crave the adulation, the endorphin rush so much, not to mention the income, I think that just the fact that some of these folks have been able to carry on so long performing that the creation, the writing, the composition 
has obviously taken a back seat. And you can add into that equation the fact that for a brief time, many were able to actually garner income, some even a living from the composition side of it, from the creative side of making music through the sale of records and the airplay of records on the radio. And now that those income streams have slowed to a drip, the performance side has become even more important, vital, and the focus for a lot of these artists. And now, of course, that has come to an abrupt halt and we have no idea how long that's going to last or what the landscape is going to look like as far as future performance revenue for the big name acts and even the ones that you've never heard of. But things will evolve and they're evolving now and some interesting things are, are happening. Some things that I am witnessing in the ways that people are creating and performing music. And I've touched on this a bit on you know some earlier episodes on the on this podcast. Performance is more and more a digital presentation. Whether it be a streaming thing or a more produced, edited, structured type of situation. And there's a lot of wide open spaces here that uh, are unfamiliar to those that hold to tradition. You know, it's a completely different thing to play music perform live in front of an audience, a totally different skill set, whether it be in a small setting at a club or in a large arena. It's completely different from performing in front of a camera in a room somewhere, in front of a green screen or something like that. And going forward, the latter skill set may be the one that is, is needed to achieve success and there are a lot of people that are making music, producing music that is not reliant on a visual presentation. They're just making music, particularly in the electronic realm, in the multitude of genres and subgenres that that entails. And the actual act of composition is more of a focus if you want something different that sounds different it's not about how you bend a string on your guitar or you can hit a high C on your trumpet or you can sing in a wide range of octaves that stun people if you want to be different it is how you 
arranged the objects of sound in space of silence, the canvas of silence. And that may include how one chops up samples or tweezes the oscillator on a synth patch or manipulates a delay echo on an electronically simulated percussion object. I'm running into a lot of people who take great care and pride in how they take sonic elements and place them together to make something that wasn't there before. And it's exciting to hear what people are coming up with. You know, uh, composition, the opportunities to have any success with uh, composition are, are pretty limited to uh, these days, mostly things like movie, TV, advertisement work, or video games. And it's a pretty small pond. There's not a lot of openings for composers compared to the amount of people that might naturally be inclined to pursue the composition of music more thoroughly. And on top of that, there are a lot of people in that realm that are actually paid composers that made a name for themselves at some point as being big league performers on a big stage. Track record, name recognition. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, this morning I was uh, just looking to see uh, what Stanley Clark's been up to in the last, I don't know, three or four or five albums that I've found that he has have been released under his name were uh, soundtrack things he did. And a lot of them are really, there's a lot of interesting music there. And of course, Stanley Clark is Stanley Clark, so he's he's pretty good, you know. But all said, I'm, I'm encouraged by a lot of, of the music I'm hearing and I'm listening to a lot more music these days and I'm enjoying listening to music a lot more so if you are interested in hearing some of uh, the music I've been discovering and other music I've been rediscovering as I mentioned last week I'm doing these I'm putting these playlists together on Spotify and you can just go to uh, Jack Prebeck at Spotify, or you can look up playlists under the title Filters Off. And what I do is I, when I put a new playlist together, I just tack the number on the end of it. So I've, I think I'm up to Filters Off number seven or eight now, but if you just go to Spotify and put in Filters Off, a number of them will come up. And you can uh, dig some of the stuff I've been digging, so to speak. And, of course, I have uh, my music at uh, Bandcamp. 
And I also have the YouTube channel, Jack Prebeck Music, if you'd like to see. I do uh, some improvisational videos on there where I do some... Uh, lately what I've been doing is uh, throwing together a groove or a beat with the trusty Akai machine and adding some improvisational material stuff substance non-foods as Frank Zappa used to say adding some improvisation on top of the grooves so check that out if you're into that sort of thing and what I've been doing at the end of these podcast episodes is featuring a little music and for the last few I've been uh, it's been songs from my new record, my new album called Trespass. The song this week is entitled, Hey Girl, Can I Borrow Your Truck? And thanks again for the few of you that have tuned in. And here it is. Hey girl, can I borrow your truck?
We'll be right back.